1: Hi, and welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie Omero, Democratic pollster with the firm PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis Anderson with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So w- thanks, everybody who's been. The- Folks have been giving us some really fantastic reviews and great ratings on Stitcher and on iTunes. And also, please take a look if you haven't already. We have some great new interviews uh, up and coming out soon. We talked to Doug Schwartz from Quinnipiac. We're going to talk about Quinnipiac polls uh, this week, and we talk about their polls a lot. He actually was here in the sound booth, and we pushed that out this past week. So if you haven't listened to it, it was pretty interesting. We talk about data collection and what's next for, next for Quinnipiac. So go take a look.
0: And coming up this coming Monday, we will have an interview with Courtney Kennedy of the Pew Research Center. It was also an awesome interview. We're so glad she was able to join us. So make sure you tune in for Monday's episode where we talk to Courtney. Uh, And so with that, the top lines for this week, how did the polls in California do? We've now wrapped up uh, the Golden State primaries. Uh, Now that we have two presumptive nominees, how is the general election looking? Also, continuity with change. It's an election slogan out of Veep. Or the UK elections. But if one of the candidates in this election was going to run on a continuity with change ticket, who's winning those attributes? We'll look at some polling about judges and bias. Do voters actually think that who you are could make you inherently unfit to serve on certain kinds of cases? And finally, we will talk about Pokemon. Yes, I'm serious. We're going to talk about polling on Pokemon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> polling never takes a holiday. Um, So poll of the week first before we get to all that exciting stuff. Um, Things you may not be freaking out about enough, the Zika virus. Now, usually people are freaking out maybe too much about things like this that are in the news. Um, People have sort of a disproportionate reaction to things they can't control. Studies show. Um, But we have this uh, new poll that shows that maybe not people may not be freaking out enough about Zika or not aware of it. I mean, only about a quarter, this is from a Harvard uh, School of Public Health survey, about a quarter are not aware of the association of Zika virus with uh, birth defects, about a fifth incorrectly believe there's a vaccine um, 40, just over 40% are not aware that it can be sexually transmitted. Someone just told me that yesterday. That was the first I had heard about it before seeing this poll. Um, and about a quarter believe that individuals are very likely to show symptoms, which I guess is not true. I don't know. There's a lot. I don't, you know, I'm not really freaking out enough about Zika either, apparently.
0: Yeah. So I, I have been looking uh, into it quite a bit and it's, I mean, what, what is freaky about it is that it's not getting people terrified in the way that Ebola did, right? Because Ebola, all of the symptoms are these, like, horrible, horrible things. Like, and if you get Ebola, it's crazy, crazy contagious and, like, all manner of things. Whereas with Zika, most people who get Zika, if you're not planning to have a baby, it's like, eh, okay, well, I got this weird rash or whatever. But if you are pregnant or want to have a baby then it's the impact is huge in part because you know unlike Ebola you could kind of get a mosquito bite and not realize that you have it and then if you're trying to have a baby all of a sudden you're pregnant and there are these huge risks to your baby if you have zika but there there's also so little information out there about like is there a particular stage of pregnancy where zika puts the baby most at risk i mean all of this stuff that's like it's it's only really, really terrifying if you want to have kids, but that's actually kind of really terrifying to society. Like, can you imagine if this whole summer, the US government says like, hey, can everybody just put a press pause on getting pregnant? Like, could y'all just not for like a summer? Yeah. I mean, that would be really disruptive to society. And that's what's happening in some of these uh, South American countries.
1: I don't know if we talked about this survey or somebody told me about it or I just imagined it, but I, there was something recently that showed a large number of people said it would be okay for the government to recommend that people not, you know, that they put off having children, which is kind of a pretty personal thing for folks who are normally, you know, government kind of be like hands off government, hands off my life. That is quite a personal thing for people to say, sure, that's okay. Yes, the government can have a role there. Um, so I guess that's related to Zika. I'm not sure where I saw that poll. Um, but yeah, when I, when the, I first heard about Zika, cause mosquitoes love me. They just really, really love me. But when I first saw this and it said, you know, for people who are having, who are planning to have children, I thought, that is just reason number 85 on my list of reasons why I'm not having any more children. I don't want to worry about the Zika virus. So um I guess that puts me in the company of lots of Americans who are also not following it closely. Um But I do – I am one of those people who I do normally like bed bugs. I always get a little bit overly nervous about. I mean they're quite – when it's like a bug thing, I get maybe a little bit irrationally worried. This one is not one of those for me, but I can see why it would be for others for sure.
0: Yeah. And I think the other uh, problem that they're finding in this survey is that these numbers even hold among households where someone is pregnant or is considering getting pregnant in the next 12 months. So the numbers are just as grim, even in those households where they really need this information. So...
1: I guess Anyhow, the, the press is not doing a good job drumming up fear and showing like, you know, normally
0: they're so good at doing videos.
1: Fear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, you got to keep keep on keep on working on that. Um, OK, so but the big news is California and the big primary wave of primaries we had yesterday, uh, Tuesday. Today's Wednesday when we're recording and that we now seem to have a nominee on the Democratic side, although I guess there's still some fine print people are working on. But it definitely looks like Clinton. Clinton. Clinton has emerged uh, as the nominee for, you know, uh, based on everything that's happened over the last week. Um, And I think this is a good news. The first thing in terms of polling, it was a real good news news night for pollsters. The California average showed the race tightening, but that it was, you know, it was still – Clinton's advantage. I hadn't seen a poll that showed Sanders up in California. So when you look at the final results that were 56-43, well, it's not exactly what the final polling averages showed, but it's not that far off. I think that's a another good sign for a polling win. Um, there are no exit polls, so we can't really break down the the nitty gritty subgroups like we have from other primary states. There are no exit polls in any of the states that voted yesterday. Um, but it still, I think, showed some good, uh, you know, good, good polling, good for the polling track record. And I think one poll, I think a couple questions, then we could talk about the general. But there's obviously a lot of talk still about democratic unity and are Democrats going to come together? And I've said quite a few times that the data doesn't really suggest that there's a really divided party and certainly not any more divided than we saw in 2008. And the last California poll that had top lines released, this was a YouGov poll just in California before the primary. I think showed, I mean, one of the other arguments is Sanders convincing people that he's got a chance and sort of tricking his voters. It didn't really seem like um, that was actually the case. Looking at the California uh, vote, you had a majority of uh, Sanders voters saying they were voting for Sanders to help influence the direction of the party, even though Sanders may not get the nomination. So they were sort of aware of what the math was showing um, and that they wanted to see Sanders give his support to Clinton and try to have a unified convention rather than uh, have a contested convention. Um, so those are just some examples and we can have the links to the show notes, but just more data that points to the fact that It seems like we'll have a unified party, a party that has the ability to come together, um, you know, whether that's what, you know, whatever the details are in terms of the Sanders campaign over the next month or two. Democratic primary voters want to coalesce behind the nominee and take on, you know, the other side, Team Trump.
0: And the ladies at uh, Huffington Post pollster did a good write up on, you know, were the polls right or wrong in California And with Clinton up 13, that's a reasonably – I mean, I think it was a nine-point departure from, I think, the polling average had showed her up by four or something like that. But one of the things they pointed out is that on the eve of Election Day, the AP came out with the declaration, well, Clinton's the presumptive nominee. And so if you're a pollster – that kind of throws them a wrench into the works, right? You've been doing this poll and then all of a sudden there's this big announcement, which may depress voter turnout among Sanders folks. I mean, all of a sudden, all of the polling up until that point kind of becomes a little bit moot. So even though, you know, the polls may have been off by, by a bit, is it forgivable in this sort of weird instance where the AP came out with a big announcement on the eve of the election and it may have, Depressed voter turnout among Sanders folks,
1: right? I mean, there's an argument that it could have depressed voter turnout among Clinton folks who said, "Wow, I don't." True, true. You know, but I think what we've seen in past primaries and exit polls and caucuses that folks who are Sanders voters are more likely to be first-time and new voters, and those I think are folks who are going to be more likely to stay home if there are new voters and folks who are more regular voters who are more likely to be Clinton voters. I mean, this is all, you know, kind of after the fact. We don't know for sure. Um, but I think the polls showing a Clinton win and then actually having a Clinton win, even if the final tally is a little different. I think that's, you know, still a sign that, you know, to go back to one of our themes is polling in crisis is everything upside down. Our polls always wrong. You know, th- this is one of those nights where, the, in fact, they were not wrong.
0: Uh, So when we take a look then at the general election, uh, right now the things that make Clinton strong are the things that make Trump weak, uh, but Trump is also viewed as a strong leader. So Gallup, uh, you know, as we've mentioned on the show in the past, Gallup is not really in the business anymore of doing ballot test polling, but they are still in the business of producing interesting information about what people think about the candidates. And so they tested a whole bunch of different... uh, concepts and said, you know, do you think this quality applies to Clinton or applies to Trump? Uh, You could pick both. You could pick neither. Um, Most voters, 62 percent, think that Clinton has the experience it takes to be president. Only 31 percent think that about Trump. Uh, They think Clinton is more likely to work well together with both parties in Washington. Clinton actually, remember the uh, Hillary, you're likable enough line from the 2008 elections Right. Uh, apparently 46% of voters think that Clinton is likable where only 36% of voters think Trump is likable. Um, she's
1: likable enough. The polls show she's likable enough, I guess
0: she's likable enough. But then there are other issue items where I can imagine a lot of Democrats just pulling their hair out that this is not, you know, a strong advantage Clinton, uh, characteristic. So for instance, has strong moral character. Clinton 39, Trump 36, Um, is honest and trustworthy. Clinton 32, Trump 33, Uh, can get things done. 56 Clinton, 58 Trump, can bring about the changes this country needs. Trump is actually up by five on this one over where Clinton is at. Uh, They think uh, Trump would be better at standing up to special interest groups. And Clinton, a majority think that she's a strong and decisive leader, but 60 percent think that Trump is a strong and decisive leader. So she has experience, uh, but he can bring about change. Uh, I mean, So this was the, you know, we we back in 2008, it was a change versus experience election, right? Hope and change beat John McCain experience and, you know, the McCain-Palin ticket, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the 2012 election, it wasn't really experience versus change because Obama was still kind of running as change, but also as, you know, forward. So, you know, continuing on, which is, I think, why Veep picked this continuity with change uh, motto right. <laughs> for their slogan for the candidate, which was a joke. And then, of course, as I'm Googling it, just to make sure I have it right, it comes up that uh, Malcolm Turnbull in the in Australia has been using continuity with change, like, not as a joke, like, as his
1: actual. That's awesome.
0: Well, anyhow, I digress. Um, but so, you know, these things didn't really surprise me. That much. I'll be honest.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, they, they pain, some of these pain me a little bit, right? And I think they pain a lot of folks who see Trump. I mean, you know, honest and trustworthy. I mean, I guess this is taps into this, uh, you know, I'm not going to be politically correct. I'm going to tell it like it is. I mean, just kind of saying whatever obnoxious thing on your, is on your mind is not, you know, honest. That's not honesty. You know, <laughs> I don't see that as honesty, but voters do. And some voters do. And I think this is a reminder that. This is not wrapped up. How unpalatable Trump may seem to folks who are listening, certainly to me and certainly to a lot of, you know, even a lot of Republicans, um, that doesn't mean that he can't win. I heard Democrat on Morning Joe saying, yeah, we're measuring the drapes after whatever latest Trump craziness had happened that week. And to, to say that or to think that is just does not, you know, the data doesn't support that. Like there, he has a chance. He clearly has a chance. The general election race had narrowed after he was declared the nominee. We'll see if now that happens uh, for Clinton. In the weeks ahead, Annie has some advantages. She has stronger advantages on some of these dimensions, um, but he has advantages. I mean, this is from the same Gallup poll. They did a whole bunch. I mean, you could really sink your teeth into what Gallup's released here of Trump versus Clinton. Um, he's got a lot of advantages on some issues. I mean, he's got advantages on things like the economy. He has um, uh, he has advantages on um, uh you know jobs and so on i mean he really i mean his jobs uh, an advantage on gun policy and taxes i mean quite quite a lot of issues so it's you know it doesn't really matter how much mastery clinton has of of all the breadth of issues out there it doesn't matter the changing electorate it doesn't matter how you know incendiary trump's rhetoric is there's still a group of folks who are supporting him And we have to take this very seriously, however strange and odd the whole thing seems.
0: One of the things that Gallup also does is they break out their results by uh – do Clinton supporters think this about Clinton? Do Clinton supporters think this about Trump, et cetera, et cetera? And even Trump supporters, about a third of them acknowledge that Clinton, you know, has the experience it takes to be president. And even about a third of Clinton supporters say that yes, Trump is a strong and decisive leader. Um, so you know, some of these traits, even a third of the other side is willing to acknowledge that that they have them. Um it's also fascinating to see which qualities Trump supporters think their own candidate lacks. So, you know, 61% say that Trump has the experience it takes to be president. Only 64% of Trump supporters think he has strong moral character. Um so you know they even even about a third of them acknowledge he doesn't really have those characteristics. Well, that's a mercy. And then for Clinton supporters, only 61% of Clinton supporters say that she is honest and trustworthy, which kind of explains why Her numbers on those that item are about as bad as Trump's, because if your own supporters don't think – I mean, 61 percent, it's a majority for sure, but that's the lowest characteristic amongst her own supporters. So if your own supporters don't think that you are honest and trustworthy as much as they think you're a strong and decisive leader, et cetera, I mean, that is going to depress your numbers in the overall – in the top lines.
1: Yeah. I mean, so folks should really go check it out because there's, there's so much in here and not just in the traits for each candidate and the traits within their own base. The issues that people say are most important. Obviously, the economy is going to be important in employment and jobs, terrorism, uh, education and healthcare. But who, which candidate has the advantage on those issues look compared to their importance. So some of the issues that people say are most important, like the economy are issues on which Trump has an advantage um the strongest uh the most important issues where clinton has an advantage are education and health care and also foreign affairs that's a little bit more mid-pack um and then some things where clinton has an advantage are at the bottom of the list like climate change and social issues um so yeah these are i mean these are this is going to be a little bit sobering for democrats who are excited this week to have a nominee um And I think it's just a good reminder of how tight this is going to be all the way to the end.
0: Although I I also I I do have to say if if Donald Trump were if we go back in time a year and a half and there had been like some secret meeting where Hillary Clinton sits down with Donald Trump and says, look, you're going to help me become president. You're going to be a secret secret agent. You're going to run for the Republican nomination. You're going to annihilate their field. You're going to make everybody hate the Republican Party. And then you're going to run against me and you're going to be a constant buffoon. And you're going <laughs> to hand to the White House. And he said, okay, Hillary, I will be a secret agent and I will help make you president. What would he be doing differently? Like, prove to me that that's not what's happening right now. That <laughs> prove to me that Donald Trump is not actually a secret agent working on behalf of the Clinton campaign. Because I'm starting to think... There's no hole in this theory. It's
1: just, (laughs) it's too perfect. It's too perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, (laughs) I mean, the the things that he's been saying, we're going to talk about the judges in a, in a minute. I mean, the like the judge thing I mean that's the thing that I found so uh, I I found a couple things odd like first of all like the judge the comments he made about the judge in his Trump University case are obviously horrible and but what was surprising a couple things one was how Republican leaders who before then were just sort of grimacing but not really standing in the way of Hurricane Trump are now like oh this is outrageous right like how, how did this happen how did he say this crazy thing I'm you you know, I'm so shocked. Well, he just better change for the general because it's OK to talk like that in the primary. I'm shocked. But now he needs to be you know, ready for the general. Like none of that really makes sense. He's been talking like that for a year. You know, having that kind of crazy talk is bad. Even if you pivot to something more mainstream in the general, he's never given any inclination that he's going to change. I mean, like it's just all like nothing in that dialogue that's happened has made sense now this is I guess I'm leaving the polling script completely behind but um you know but you're right you know you're right Kristen he's been doing a lot of wacky things but he's still I mean I guess this is the question if they had had the secret meeting somebody there the staffer in the room for the secret meeting would say well like well wait that's not gonna work like why was saying all that crazy stuff wh- who what makes you think that would make Trump a viable general election candidate and then What's the answer to that question, you know, but then here he is, he's a viable, you know, he's a general election candidate, after, you know, doing all of these, you know, buffoonish things throughout the primary and now the general election.
0: Well, going back to this, the the issues that are most important to the different parties, the one thing that, that I did want to mention is, you know, you see these issues like, okay, climate change or the treatment of minority groups in this country. And yes, it is certainly the case that Republicans there are far fewer of them compared to democrats that think these are important issues but like one out of every four republicans says that climate change is an important issue to them and or an extremely or very important issue you know 48% say the treatment of minority groups in this country is an extremely or very important issue Um, The distribution of income and wealth in the United States, a majority of Republicans say this is extremely or very important. And so this is the kind of stuff that drives me nuts because, you know, now that Trump has the nomination, we have this very clear idea in our heads of like, this is what being a Republican means and these are the issues they care about. And I've done a lot of work for groups that have been really focused on how do we go find those one out of four Republicans who think that climate change is extremely important? Or how do you go find the, you know, half of Republicans who care about things like income inequality and actually talk about it? Um, Like the numbers were fascinating to me because there were issues that just nobody on the right talks about. But here, there's at least a quarter of the party that says this is an, a very or extremely important issue to them. So nonetheless, yes. I digress.
1: No, you're, you're absolutely right. No, you talk about them, Kristen. You talk about all these issues. But, you know, the other thing, though, and this is something to think about when you look at these most important issue questions, is you don't really know exactly what people are thinking about when they say, yes, that issue is important. When they say gun policy, which is how it's listed here, are they, for you know, are they thinking, I yes, stronger gun laws is important to me. Are they thinking protecting status quo gun laws is important to me. Climate change, are they trying to, you know, work on climate change, which is usually what the phrase climate change means, But or are they worried about too much, you know, too much aggressive work on climate change? So it's it's not totally clear from this. That's not Gallup's fault. It's just the, the trouble of this kind of question is always a little sticky in that way. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit then about what people believe about whether or not Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are going to achieve their goals, and then we'll we'll wrap up our 2016 talk with a little bit of this, uh, the politics of the judge issue.
1: Yeah. So this is from Quinnipiac. So as we mentioned, we had Doug Schwartz from Quinnipiac on the show this week, and and they had a couple questions about, you know, the candidates and their pl- their promises. Right. So this is a common thing. Do people believe the promises of the candidates? Do they think they're going to happen? Um, it's not just about. Do you favor or oppose them? It's it's also the symbolism of the promise that I think is important. You know, there's the do you trust it to happen? Do you, what also does the promise symbolize? It's just like a, a value that you're projecting, even if it's not necessarily something that you think is going to happen sort of as is as a proposal. Um, but it's interesting the things that they compared because they compared, you know, these quote unquote proposals of Donald Trump that are, you know, as most policy experts would say, like just not possible, like building this wall and having Mexico pay for it, sending them an invoice for some wall. Um you have a quarter of Americans saying, yes, he's going to try to do this, try to do, uh, fulfill this promise, and he's going to be able to do it. That's a quarter of voters overall. Forty two percent of plurality of Republicans feel that he'll be able to do that about a third, I guess, fewer than a third say he's not going to do it. He's not going to try. Um, And that's. You know, maybe about 36 percent of Democrats, half of Democrats think that he's going to try to build a wall and not be able to do it. Um, that seems like more likely than the deporting of illegal immigrants. That one people feel he's not that's probably less likely to be a proposal he could follow through with. I mean, I guess that's a good thing that people don't see that as something that could really be easily, it could easily happen. Um, The Muslim ban is seen as a little bit more likely to, to happen where about a third say he's going to try and he'll be able to do that, particularly among Republicans, almost half. And then for Clinton, the ones that they, test for Clinton are removing secret money from politics, reigning in the power of Wall Street and making in-state public colleges debt-free and community colleges completely free. And for all of those you have, or for two of those, the power of Wall Street and removing secret money, you have over half saying she's not going to do those and she's not going to try. You have a little bit more division on the public colleges. I think I have to say, in all honesty, though, I feel like the the proposals for Trump, those are his, those are his three things. Those are his babies. You know, I don't know if I had to pick three proposals for Clinton, that these would be the three that I would pick.
0: What do you think would be the three? Cause I, I, I was thinking that as well when I read through it. And that's why I thought it was so interesting that there are lots of people that think that Trump is at least going to try these things. Not that he's just saying them for the sake of like stirring people up so that he can win. And then he abandons them. Like, I was actually surprised at the proportion of people that really think he's building a wall or, I mean, he (laughs) wants to build a wall. Um, And I, I, by the way, as we mentioned, I'm always fascinated by the crosstabs that Quinnipiac releases. And I think it is interesting and telling that on the crosstabs, you know, the percentage of people that think Trump's just not going to bother trying some of these things stays fairly consistent across age groups for most of these but the difference then emerges between try and be able versus try and not be able, with younger voters having less faith that Trump will actually be able to achieve the things he says he wants to achieve. So, yay, cynical millennials.
1: <laughs> <Yeah. I> <laughs> That's good. That's good. I, I mean, if I had to... I'm looking now to see if there's like one thing, you know, I went to the Clinton website and they have 112 reasons, not three and counting that Hillary Clinton should be our next president. Um, oh. but, <laughs> um I would say, I would have in, on this list, something about gender pay equity and family leave. I think those would, you know, are very clearly would be, would, be, you know, for sure would be, if not one of these, then, you know, or two of the top three, um, or at least what she has been talking about regularly in, um, in her language, um, you know, in the primary, she's talked about guns. I don't know if that would be part of what, you know, her top three going in the general. But that would be something that I think she's spent more time talking about in the primary as part of her platform um, than some of these. So uh, that would be just, you know, some examples protecting the Affordable Care Act. Would be another example, maybe something related to foreign policy. Um, I don't know if I would pick these three as like, these are her promises. What do you think? Um, it's almost seems like, especially since these have been kind of contrast points in the Sanders campaign. I mean, it was almost as if these were set up to have, I don't think they were set up, but you know, I'm not surprised that the numbers are different for her than they are for Trump on the promises, but.
0: Well, then the last Trump thing we'll talk about is this judge question and, you know, I was joking before, like five minutes ago, that, you know, hey, every time Donald Trump does something, it's it's setting up the party for a total disaster. And even today, you had Hugh Hewitt, who uh, or I, Wednesday, you had Hugh Hewitt, who is a uh, conservative talk radio host. Who's, he has publicly declared himself to be Switzerland. He has said, you know, I'll support whoever the Republican nominee is. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Trump. He came out to, and finally said, The party needs to boot Trump at the convention. They need to play funny business with the rules. They need to do whatever they can to get him out. This whole judges thing has pushed a lot of conservative elites over the edge who are, like, on the fence about what do I do about Trump. Most of the never-Trumpers are like, hey, we told you guys. We told you this months ago. Welcome to the club. Um, But... Margie, to your point, a lot of times we see Trump say these things and we think, oh, this is the one that's going to do him in, right? Like, this is it. The judge's thing. This is going to do it in. Not the Megyn Kelly stuff. Not the John McCain stuff. Not the woman card. No, no, no. The judge's stuff. Yeah. And looking at these poll numbers, I'm not convinced this will do Trump in.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I mean, I heard Lindsey Graham say, like, if you're looking for an off ramp, this was, would be it. And I guess that's the phrase that's interesting. Like, if you're looking for an off ramp, you know, but there'll be another exit. There's lots of exits. <laughs> this is not like the <laughs> early stage of the Jersey Turnpike where you're like 15 miles between each other. Like, there's tons. This is like Northern Jersey. There's exits everywhere. You can get off anywhere. Um, there's a zillion crazy things that, that you can, that'll take you off, uh, this highway. Um, but yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, they. they this was Yuga, right? And they ask a lot of different questions. They're not all related exactly to the Trump judge thing. Which, again, I mean, the fact that he had a surrogate call to get people to talk about this. I mean, I mean, I've never heard a focus group say like, "I want a candidate who, you know, can win." A case on summary judgment. Like, I mean, that's just so not reaching regular people where they are. It's just such so about him. That's, it just amazes me that we've been talking about this like nuance of some case of his, which already the case should have him on the defensive to begin with. And then to like go spend more time talking about it just seems crazy. But, um, they asked a variety of different examples of can a male judge be impartial talking about a rape case? Can a female judge be impartial in a rape case? Can a, White judge be impartial where a white officers on trial for shooting an unarmed black suspect. I mean, you know, can a Muslim judge be impartial when you're talking about terrorism? I mean, this is, you know, the downside of having all of this very hot talk on all these topics is that now there are polling questions where we're asking people to really give voice to some, you know, uh, you know, things that maybe people should not be talking about or maybe it's I don't know if it's better to talk about this stuff or or if it's not better to talk about this stuff like if we're asking people you know can a woman be impartial maybe now we're we're asking people to think well maybe she should maybe she can't you know and they we're not really trying to think about that before i, I don't know the answer to that, but you can find in these questions about ten percent in most of these questions saying no in these various examples that type of person that type of judge can't be impartial. Um, The highest number is where you ask about whether a black judge can be impartial in a a white officer shooting a black suspect. There you have about 17 percent saying no and or a Latino judge being fair in a class action lawsuit. And 9% the, there, I guess that one's the, lower. The, the, well, the biggest
0: one is actually the one about the Muslim judge. If a Muslim, you had a Muslim federal judge who was a native-born American citizen but is a practicing Muslim, could they run a fair and impartial court proceeding on a trial against someone accused of committing terrorism? Oh. Less than half of people in the survey said, yes, the judge can run a fair and impartial court. Less than half. 29% said, no, the judge would be biased. And 24% said, I'm not sure.
1: Oh. Yeah.
0: So this is why this is another example of something where, you know, the Washington elites are going, oh, my gosh, Trump, Trump's done it again. And yet there's enough hints of stuff in polls that makes me think, is Trump really giving voice to beliefs that we don't want to believe that an awful lot of Americans actually hold?
1: Right. And what do we do with that information? You know, do we try to convince their mind? You know, I, I guess this goes back to the question of like, you know, What does the Republican Party do about that? group of its base you know do they try to convince them to to change their mind do they reach out to them do they embrace them you know when I've talked to other folks other Republicans they'll say like we don't need them in our party even if you know that's the the long-term goal is we don't want them we don't need them that's not good for the rest of the party to have you know folks who you know believe some of these really strong opinions um in our in our party um so you know I don't know what the answer is to that but it, it's, it's something that comes up again and again and again. And, you know, the question is, uh, you know, one question is when you have, th- you know, folks like uh, Paul Ryan saying, well, I don't know what's in his heart. His comments are racist. I don't know if he's a racist, which is a thing you can, you know, that's a fair point in that. You don't know, you don't know what someone's is in someone's heart. Maybe Trump is just acting. Maybe he it's an act. Maybe he's just doing it because he gets rewarded for it by clicks and likes and votes and media coverage. It doesn't really but it doesn't matter. You know, it, that, that doesn't matter because that's the reality of what we're having to talk about. So um, whether he you know, it's in his heart or not when we're talking about uh, someone running for president, it doesn't it simply doesn't matter. Anyway, I don't I don't envy your struggles on the on the Republican side. It's great
0: times. We're having so much fun over here. Yay!
1: Yeah. No. This is. Uh, this is let's talk about. Stuff. Let's
0: talk about Pokemon. Okay.
1: <laughs> Here's something I we don't we really don't care with the answer responses to this poll question, <laughs> but a reader alerted us to it. Um, there were over five hundred thousand votes in a general election. I guess they skipped the primary to choose the most popular Pokemon. And Greninja, I guess that's how you pronounce it, came out on top. Pikachu came in fourth, which I was surprised because that's the only one I know. That's basically <laughs> the beginning and end of my information level. Pokemon. Did you, I mean, you, were you surprised? You First of all, you probably know who all these other folks look I
0: actually don't. Love. This is a, well, I mean... Back when I was in, I don't know, I had a Nintendo 64. I don't so I was whatever age would I would have had a Nintendo 64 at. There was a game called Pokemon Snap. And the weirdest thing is that like the whole premise of this game is that you were supposed to like drive a little car around and take pictures of Pokemon. And then your score was based on like the computer evaluating how good a photo of the Pokemon it was. Like I don't understand how I played so much of this game because now that I explain the concept verbally, I'm like, what was this? But so I get to learn a little bit about some of who these Pokemon are. But I really have not thought about Pokemon in over a decade. And then last week, uh, Stephen Kent of uh, Beltway Banthas tweeted at us that, like, me taking on CNN was like I had, like was breaking out my Pokemon to like fight them. And I was like, I have literally not thought about Charizard in like two decades or like a decade and a half. Like this is crazy. I, oh, I well, saw
1: that tweet. I was like, what is that? Like, <laughs> like, what is that re- referring yeah, to? Like Charizard's- how old am I? I have no idea. What, you're, what. I was like, I thought it was like weird Twitter. I have no idea what's going on. No. So and fun. the
0: only reason that I think I even really knew much about Pokemon is That you could play as Pikachu in another game called Super Smash Brothers that's awesome and knows no age. People of all ages can play it. But then number two, I had two younger sisters that were, like, way into this stuff. Or at least much more into it than I was. So that was sort of how, like, I would get exposed to things like Power Rangers and blah,
1: blah, blah. So I was right. You did know more about this than than, than I do. I was right on that front. Um, So that's good. Okay. So Pokemon... Um, It's still out there. It's still still getting a lot, you know, so it's a lot more actually 500,000 votes. I mean, that's, you know, more votes than some of the caucuses that have happened this this time or yep. um, for whatever that's worth. OK, so the key findings, girl, that's what I got. We got a nominee and it's a woman and I'm very excited about it. I think that's a great day. I think we should get be excited that we have a woman nominee. It's super, super awesome. But don't get complacent. Team Dumpster Fire has some advantages, and that is worrying. And which is more dangerous, the Zika virus or Donald Trump? Um, We didn't know that Pokemon was still a thing, but it seems like Pikachu needs a branding campaign. So call us.
0: You can find us on Twitter at, at ThePolsters or individually at AtMargieOmero and at KSoltis Anderson. You can find us at www.ThePolsters.com Find us on Facebook where throughout the week We'll post links to stories we might be chatting about On the show Don't forget to give us a review or a rating on iTunes Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcatcher Happens to be
1: Great, thank you
0: When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station Classic rock
1: Hip-hop pop guys quiet the one thing we do agree on we all want an awesome free phone that's why we switch to metro PCS. stop
0: by metro PCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love like samsung motorola and lg when you switch MetroPCS. wireless figured out coverage not available in some areas sales tax not included in phone price free phone requires port excludes numbers on the t mobile network see store for details and terms and conditions